Cause we're talking with T-Bird now Miss T-Bird, you cannot change Oh, Miss T-Bird, you cannot change And things might get pretty strange Yes, that's right. We are back once again for more Talking with T-Bird and the woman who is out there rounding up these classic survivors left and right. Here she is, the great Teresa T. Bird Cooper. Good afternoon, Rob. How you doing? T. Bird, how are you? How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really, of course, excited. I know you're not surprised to hear that. I'm excited about another talk with T. Bird with another excellent, crazy, fun, exciting guest. Yes. Okay. I've everything. I've got everything in place here. You know what I've got? I've got my eight ball and mm-hmm. it says, are we going to have a great talk chat today? And of course it says, here we go. It's, it is certain. That's what it says. I have got my yes. podcast bell. I've got my water. Mm. Yep. I've got my water and I've got my popcorn. Mm-hmm. I am ready right, well, to have some fun. I yeah, we are going to be talking with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always I say that eating that. and podcasting is not necessarily a, a great mix, but uh, but I let you do whatever you want, T-Bird. All right. I'm glad. All right. Well, you know what? I wanted to, I wanted to mention to you that um, the Survivor players that we've had the extreme pleasure mm-hmm. of getting to talk to, interviewing so far, have such, they have a lot in common. Of course, other playing the crazy awesome and i would actually say robin i think you would too life changing game of survivor um i think survivor did not and does not define of any of us any of them they are all extremely accomplished in not just one facet but in many facets of their life but i'm just going to mention that whenever i've reached out to the ones that we've had the pleasure of talking to so far most of them just about every single one of them, as I expressed my enthusiasm, wink, wink, to talk to them, for us to chat with them, um, and that so many of the super fans wanted to hear from them. Mm-hmm. You know what most of them all said? They all what? said, why do they want to hear from me? That's what I'm mm-hmm. telling you. The ones I've contacted, that's usually the very first thing. So it's not a matter of me talking them into doing it as much as is me talking them into why people want to hear from him. It's crazy. And Sean Rector was absolutely no different. He couldn't believe, Rob, that anyone cared or would want to hear from him. Yes, so and, and we haven't set up him, yet that that is who we are talking to today, Sean Rector, T-Bird. Oh, gosh. It's, so I just messed up with the surprise. It's not a surprise. Well, I mean, people see the title, but we should say it up front. That, yeah, Sean Rector interview is coming up. And let me just say, so... We often end up the the way that this works is uh, a lot of times T-Bird and I call the person and then we end up recording the intro to the podcast after the fact. And this is uh, one of those times here today. So I can tell you a little bit about our conversation with uh, Sean Rector. We got him on the phone for about two hours. So this was uh, really incredible. He had a lot to say. He has long time been one of my all time favorites that uh, that he was so entertaining 
Till watch on the show that he is somebody that he is hilarious. He could sing. He can dance. He could really he was so entertaining to watch on the show. And he was also one of the most outspoken contestants of uh, his era and maybe in the show's history that he talked about a lot of different subjects that no other survivor up to that point or really since has ever brought up on the show. And so it it is in that spirit that this interview uh, will be today. So if you are looking for two hours of just reminiscing Survivor Marquesis and going through a deep dive of the game of Survivor Marquesis, then I'm sorry to say that this is not what we have in store for you today. But what we do have is a a very real conversation uh, with Sean about his experience and about everything that he went through dealing with the show that delves into a lot of different real life subject matters. And I think it was a fascinating conversation. And whether you agree with him or whether you don't see eye to eye with what he has to say, I think that you will find his interview to be a really interesting one. And I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk to him, T-Bird. Yeah, and, and let me say this, you know, since you, since you let the uh, listeners know that we're actually recording this, you know, before you start the interview with Sean, you know, we sometimes forget that these larger-than-life characters are real people um, that just happen to be handpicked by casting because they're interesting, amazing, accomplished, and diverse individuals. Um, I think that Sean, after talking him to, after talking to him today, uh, he has proved uh, that Survivor has not defined him. Um, Sean did a great job today of showing us that with all of his actions, his impressive humanitarian work, his strong sense of community, loyalty to family and friends, proves that he has a lot of tremendous layers to him. Um, you know, and Survivor's a tough, difficult, emotional, physical, psychologically demanding game. Wouldn't you agree, Rob? And it, oh, it doesn't always bring it. Yeah, and it doesn't always bring out the best in us. Um, first impressions, and I think after talking with him today, I kind of concluded, I, you know, I, we all know this. First first impressions are just that. They stay just first impressions unless we choose to look deeper and walk in each other's shoes and realize that we're more alike than we are different. And I had the pleasure of getting a message from Gina Cruz Middow. Now, Gina, when she played with Sean, she's from Gainesville, Florida. She was 28 at the time. And, of course, Sean from Harlem, New York, was 30. So very close age-wise, but both come from very different walks of life. And I think this is a good thing to say what Sean, what uh, Gina said about Sean. It'll kind of lead us into this interview that I thought was very, very interesting uh, Gina wasn't sure if if we'd want to use this or not, mm-hmm. but I just I decided I think it would be a great thing for us to include. So, what Gina said was, she said, "I really thought that Sean was so angry in the game." Um, she said, "I never really got to know him." Fortunately, after the game, we spent some time together, and she said, "I will never forget a few of us meeting up at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles in L.A. one mm-hmm. day." I don't, she said, I don't think I had laughed that hard with him ever, even during our morning radio show on the island. That was when I realized what a great person he is. 
He cares so much about his family and friends and is just a downright passionate guy about pretty much everything. I'm glad you're interviewing him. I always thought I would love to see him play again, a more mature, seasoned adult. That was from Miss Gina. Okay. I just thought that was something really neat. And it, again, speaks again about getting to know people and realizing that, that this game when you're in this game and you see this kind of one side, there are so many other facets to these characters. And I think with us doing these uh, conversations that we're having, Rob, we're seeing how unique and how neat all these people actually are. Yeah, the watermelon queen has spoken. Okay, so we are going to uh, <laughs> get Sean on the line here in uh, just a, a moment for uh, what is a, uh, a very interesting conversation. Uh, with Sean Rector. But first, uh, let's just uh, thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And we will not break at all the rest of the way. And those are our friends over at Legacy Box. Now, T-Bird, do you have a lot of home movies at your house of uh, different uh, home movies on things like VHS and all sorts of old media? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes, absolutely. Do you have any way to play those videos? Do you have a working VCR? Well, you know, we've got our old, you know, you know, we've got one. And, of course, when the power when gets struck by lightning down here in the country, there goes that. And we got to go out and buy <laughs> yeah, another okay. one. But you know what? I've got, listen to this, Rob. I've got all, you know, Survivor CBS sent me all of my uh, Survivor Africa tapes. And they were on those big old, what are those, VHS? Yeah. Those huge, big VHS tapes. So those are sitting in a in a box in the closet. I don't think we have a way to play those anymore. Yeah. I mean, not that that would be our Friday night well, movie of choice, yeah. but so T-Bird, no. Yeah, so and who knows what condition uh, those tapes are in and what wires you need to connect uh, a VCR to make it all work. That's where Legacy Box comes in because they will go ahead and digitize your old analog formats and make them into a digital format either on a DVD or a thumb drive or a digital download that you will be able to access anytime time to be able to make sure that those memories do not get lost to time you can go ahead and get organized clean out your closet full of old camcorder tapes and aging film reels all you need to do is once you sign up with legacy box they send you the legacy box trunk and you fill it up with your old home movies and pictures they do the rest professionally digitizing your moments onto the thumb drive digital download or dvd with easy to follow instructions and safety barcodes included on every single item you get personalized updates every step of the way legacy box is the world's largest most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos with over a decade of experience and all the work is done by hand right here in the usa there's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories visit legacybox.com today to get started plus for a limited time they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount go to legacybox.com slash rob to get 40 percent off your first order or save up to 200 dollars on the largest legacy box kit that's at legacybox.com slash rob and save 40 percent today get started preserving your past and as we like to do, T-Bird, take it away. Today, we are joined by Sean Rector from Survivor for Marquesas. Sean was voted out day 36, 12th player to be voted out, and fifth member of the jury. He is considered by many as one of the Survivor all-time characters, which I have to agree with that. He wears many, many hats. I would describe him as loyal, spiritual. He's a teacher, 
coach, counselor, and mentor to many, only to name a few of his credentials. I would consider him a survivor's who's who, best all around, most likely to succeed, most admired, most talented, most wittiest. Did I mention he's the king of one-liners? He's the co-founder of the Time Foundation, which is teaching young men excellence. And he says his mother, Laverne, is his inspiration. I give to you the very, very popular Sean Rector. Hey, Sean. Uh, t that was actually amazing because that uh, Sean is actually wearing a hat and I see him on video and you do not. So that was amazing, t What a call. <laughs> oh, right. Well, you know what? It's so funny because I was, hey, so Sean, I was actually, if you could see my notes here, I actually says said that Sean wears many hats, literally and figuratively, because I've seen all these pictures of you and you've got all these cool, awesome hats. But I just kind of just left that out. So that is so cool. <laughs> that was. I, I thought it was a bit of irony, but I, I, let's roll with it. I do wear many hats, literally and figuratively. Sean, very excited to have the chance to uh, talk with you that you have been one of the most requested people for guests for this uh, hunt for all of these uh, great players that the fans are looking to hear from. I'm humble. Um, anytime anyone gives two shits about what you're doing, I think that's a great thing. Um, it's humbling. It is just because you guys know being alumni, um, the fans are fickle. One minute they love you. Next mm-hmm. minute they can't stand you. Um, and so to know that people have it, cause I'm completely out of the survival world. So yeah. I don't know what people can talk about. I, I, you know, I really don't know. So thank you. Yeah. Sean, well, besides what T-Bird uh, told us, uh, what have you been up to? Um, mainly being a father and a partner to my woman, mm-hmm. Margarita Ari. Um, we have three children. I have a stepson, a son, and a, a three-year-old daughter. Um, my foundation, Time Foundation, uh, the program is a rites of passage program for black and Latino boys in the inner city of uh, Los Angeles. Um, uh, it's called the Boys to Men Enrichment Program mm-hmm. under the Time Foundation. Time stands for Teaching Young Men Excellence. I actually started it back when I was on Survivor um, as a nonprofit. And I don't know what, 18 years later, uh, 10,000 boys in South Central LA have come through my program uh, to give them an alternative to gang violence, but also to give them a bit of um, my childhood, um, which was filled with many rites of passage from cotillions uh, to um, private boarding school at Hershey, Pennsylvania, to mm-hmm. basketball teams, to Boy Scouts, to many things my mother put me in. And I just felt like this is what a lot of our young men needed, particularly out here. So how do uh, people enroll their uh, kids or uh, guardians enroll their uh, children in what you're doing with your program? Basically, we're located at a school, John Muir Middle School, John Muir, M-U-I-R Middle School in South L.A. So it's mainly the kids that go to the school. But we've been around so long that um Parents just come and drop their kids. They fill out an application either online or they drop the application off. 
and I don't turn away anyone. Whatever I was, th- my mom was a single parent mom, so I know what it's like to have the village. I'm just part of the village, and uh, we take them as young as eight to eight, seventeen, so as as long as they're in school, and. Um, it's a rite of passage, so not everyone makes it to the end. You know, they, they start out, and then uh, because of a series of uh, rites of passage that they must com- uh, complete uh, throughout the year, many don't make it, but many do. And um, we have a, a culminating banquet, fundraising banquet every year in Burbank to coincide with the end of the school year uh, to commemorate those who finished and graduated that year so uh, it doesn't take much to enroll it's just if you want your kid mm-hmm. to join and no matter whether they quit or whether they stay kind of like survivor mm-hmm. yeah uh well that's really incredible i i heard about what you were doing uh that uh, a couple of years ago we were saying right before uh we came on that so i think somebody who was one of your mentors uh picked pick me up from the airport on my way back home and he was telling me about uh what what you were doing and then uh we briefly uh got in touch uh way back when but i'm so excited to uh ha- have you on to hear about everything uh now so i, I know that you uh don't uh keep up too much with the uh survivor loop uh that how what was the the point in which you stopped following everything that was going on did you follow it at all after your season i did so after our season i was um you know mark case is contrary to what some of the producers may have felt because of location and whatever logistics with the bugs and last minute changing from jordan to marques whatever logistics um our season ratings wise did really well. And um, our season was unique in that um, it was the only season that Lynn Spillman didn't cast. It was the only season that was hosted by Rosie O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. It was the only season where every contestant got a car. Like our season was the first in a lot of, uh, in a lot of different ways. And so um, soon after um, um, I got a lot of notoriety. I didn't think I would. Cause yeah. you know, it was, weird at that time even though we got a lot of attention but those survivor contracts pretty much held you down uh to where if you wanted to be kunta kente you literally were told your name was toby and so for about three years couldn't do anything and so um bet contacted me to do an online um kind of like an online um editorial for season five uh, I believe in Thailand. That was, yes. Yeah, Thailand was next. And uh, I did that. And I followed maybe, it, it was kind of like a homecoming. It was cool in the beginning to go to the reunions um, because everyone involved with the with the uh, brand was still cool and humble. It was like family. It may still be. But as I started going to more and more, it started to feel a little too Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, the Some of the executives started to, you know, people started to get weird. And uh, it just turned me off a little bit. And then ultimately when I was uh, asked to be on the all-star, cause I didn't solicit. I was like, well, I was good. I had my season, did my thing. I was good. And then they reached out to me and I was like, all right, um, as long as we put things in place, you know, after you do it the first time, you kind of realize, oh, okay, you know, let me, let me put some things in place. You know, the first time you do it, you just kind of drop everything and leave mm-hmm. because it's the unknown. I was like, yo, I got a family, you know, I got work. I, I can't just bounce. 
So I tried to put some things in place. They were like, cool. Everything seemed like it was moving. I let my employer know, my principal at that time. I got my body back in shape for like three months. For those who know, knew I couldn't really swim that well. So I was in the pool getting my, um, I was going to say Greg Louganis, but then I would uh, age myself. <laughs> What's the guy that won the eight, eight gold medals? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like I'm, I'm, they can't see me. But I'm like, what's the dude's name? <laughs> that, that's him. Yeah, I got you. Okay, um, I got your charades. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, so I started getting my Phelps on. Started uh, getting in the water again. Come, and then the day came when they told me that we would we would be leaving. I was sitting there with my bags packed. Blah blah blah. I'm sitting there and then looking at the clock. And my girl is like, "Hey, you, you know what's going on?" I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay." Clock is ticking, clock is ticking, and man, the day went, no one called me, no one sent me an email, no one sent me a letter. Yo, I was hurt. Wow. Not because I didn't get on, because I'm like, why Ow! do all of Like, are you guys that busy? Are you that big? Are people that are dying to get on so much that you can't even be courteous anymore? So, yo, I was, I was heated. So then immediately what I did was, Give me one second. Let me what I did was I hit up uh, Jervis. Mm-hmm. It was like all the brothers and all the sisters, basically all the black folks. Early on, we kept in touch with each other because, you know, it was like a small fraternity of us. So yeah. I hit Jerv up. I was like, yo, yo, they, um, they hit me up. They ain't put me on. I'm just, did they put you on? He was like, nah, man. I figured if they ain't put me on, they put you on. I was like, yo. So I think we three-way Ted from uh, Thailand. Thailand, yeah. Because Ted had did really well. And so Ted was like, nah. So then we were all like, they ain't got no brothers on the All-Star? Like, and we, us three thought at least, you know, mm-hmm. one of us would go because we did well, but also out of fair representation. Right. So we just kind of was like, all right, nobody, you know, we ain't trip on it. We still went to the survivor outings, uh, the typical fundraisers. Nobody was talking. And then when it, they finally aired and we saw that Alicia was the only person of color, I was like, all right. I'm cool. Y'all got it. Deuces. Everything I always say about race and class is true. Even in Survivor, uh, people don't want to talk about it. I've said it when I was on my season. I'm like, this shit does not reflect America at all. And if you're a black or a non-white person and you bring up this stuff, then all the white people get mad and oh, you're playing array all these cliche stuff that's supposed to make you not acknowledge the obvious. And so I just was like, you know what? Rather than get into a discourse with millions of fans that I don't know mm-hmm. or get into the fake world of contestants trying to suck up to Jeff and whoever else, I was like, let me just tap out, live my life. And um, that, yeah, that, that's pretty much where it started. So, I mean, years later, I would go if Vesepia called and was like, hey, bro, I'm going to a finale or, or Boston Rob was in town and we, you know, we hung out, but if it wasn't Vesepia or Boston Rob, I probably wasn't showing up. Sean, uh, when you're talking about, uh, you know, all of the uh, different factors, why you, uh, you know, had, had a falling out with the show, talking about race and all these different social issues. I do think that that's one of the reasons why you've stood out in people's minds all these years later, is that I think that you were the first and, and one of the few survivors, and I'm sure other people have talked about it on the show, 
but that was a big part of what what your story was on the show in how you yeah. and V were dealing with that as contestants going through that process. And even going back now and watching that, it's very interesting to hear that conversation all the way back in, what, 2002? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2001, it aired yeah. in Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting, Rob? Um, it's as relevant back then as it was mm-hmm. in the 50s was in the 1800s uh as we see clearly now where there's no longer the elephant in the room it's just the elephant is sitting down with everybody like hey y'all i'm here what's going on but um we we all bring our unique experiences like the one thing i think that worked in my favor i was naive i did not watch the show i didn't know you know merges i didn't know all the lingo Mm -hmm. i just brought who i was the unique thing about me Maybe this is what the producer saw was that I'm a very conscious man, but I'm a very um, empathetic and kind human being. And so I went to a private boarding school that was majority white. And anyone that knows anything about the Milton Hershey School knows that it's a private boarding school where once you go there, you're bonded with people of all races. And only people that went there who we call Milton know that we are literally brothers and sisters. So. And we don't do it in the cliche way, like, hey, I got a black friend I'm cool with, or, hey, I got this Asian guy. Like, we don't, those adjectives are not really used. It's just, yo, that's Rex, that's Jack, that's Missy, that's whatever your name. So I brought that plus my the unique background of being born and raised in Harlem, mm-hmm. which is a uniquely black, socially conscious community. So I couldn't help but bring who I was. I couldn't be anything I was or wasn't. Um and I just called it. I've always been that way. I'm like, I, I see something, I call it. But in the uh, competitive uh, realm of Survivor, my commentary wasn't meant to be off-putting or to be purposely entertaining. I just was calling things as I what I felt. And it was funny because, as you guys know, we don't see the editing until we watch it with, with everyone else. Um, you know what you feel. And it wasn't until I watched it in my family where... Um, you know, no one outright said anything, but just like a woman could feel, you know, chauvinistic um, energy at work or wherever, non-white people can feel what that energy feels like when you're invisible or you're dismissed or what things are implied. But here's the caveat. Also, when you're black and non-white, sometimes you can be overly sensitive to race because you're so used to being dealt with through that. But when you have honest people that can be like, yo, bro, ain't got nothing to do with why you, your color or whatever, then you can take it more honestly than when people just are dismissive. Like, why are you always bringing that up? Because it's like, fuck you. Because that's my reality. That's why. And mm-hmm. then you just like, so and then years later, Survivor hasn't, haven't changed their casting. Like, why are we still looking at the same white character types? And trust me, I, when you say why, it, it is what it is. It's like, Beautiful contestants, you, T-Bird, Bob, I love everybody, but I just feel like when you look at the demographic of America, you have the mosaic of Asian and Latino, black, white, you have different demographic of white, you have poor whites, you have indigenous, like Polynesian. I'm out here in LA, it's a huge Polynesian. I was on the Marquesas and I'm like, has there even been a Mar? I mean, you even got to think about. So I'm like mm-hmm. the one season with Earl, whatever, whatever uh, island that was, I thought, why not do that all the time? Do it where it's, you know, four or five different demographics. And then because true, truly, if Vesepi and I were on a 
on a show where it was truly mixed, we may not have uh, bonded in that way. We may have because we we just get along. But mm-hmm. it's easier when all things considered equal for you to bond with people based on other similarities than the obvious. Mm-hmm. But when you have 14 whites and two blacks, white privilege means you don't have to think about everybody else is white like you. But when you black, you're like, damn, everything I say, everything I do may be looked at a certain way. So let me, you know, now you got to adjust so that other people are comfortable and it affects your game because, you know, you're like, damn, I'm already hungry. I'm tired. The human side of me is like, shit, this is this is real. But then you're like, man, if I say something, then it's going to be like, oh, the lazy guy's hungry. Or if I, you know, speak out and be like, yo, man, what are we doing? Then it's like, oh, there's the aggression. There it is. Yeah. You know, America has coded words that we know. You know. <laughs> Sean, can I ask you, that, were you feeling that more on the island with the other contestants or were you thinking about it more in terms of that uh, I'm being filmed and people are going to be watching this show and this is what you're hearing as the show is airing? I never thought about the filming. As you guys know, after day two, when your stomach is scratching your back mm-hmm. and you're hungry as hell, uh, whatever they're filming, they just get it. I mean, there's no playing to the camera. Um, I, it was a feeling. And when I say that, just um, hear what I'm saying, Kevin. I was on the original Maramu crew, Boston Rob, Sarah, Hunter, um, Peter, Giuseppe, and Patricia. We were just trying to get a fire. We were doing what human beings would do when you're just trying to survive. But you guys know, after the basics, we're on a deserted island. So there's not much time to do a whole lot. You have a whole lot of time to really do nothing. I created the radio show to, for entertainment, but also for social. wasn't a tactic. I just was bored. I was mm-hmm. like, yo, these no-nos are eating us up. You got to take my mind. But I say that because there's a thing called implicit bias that we all have. Um, it's just when you apply it to where... Um, you're not aware in the circumstance where it benefits you. Most people don't want to be called out on the implicit bias because most people want to feel like they don't, they're not prejudiced and they see everyone is equal and all lives matter and all that BS. I say that because as men, we have privilege, right? We have implicit bias sometimes towards women in certain instances. Well, sometimes things were said that felt like it was implied towards me specifically, like, you know, Hey, can you go do this thing? Now, it could have genuinely been asked, like, yo, we need water. I need you to get it. But then it also sometimes, again, the lens of which you're looking at is like, is this a test? Is this some kind of bonding that they're going to do to see if I pass a test? So you can't help it when you're black, specifically because um, in America, I hate when you can't talk about it. It's like, because this is our reality. It's great when we don't have to talk about it. It's great when you can have a couple of beers or just disagree or just laugh and, you know, even use race and class and hair color and whatever makes us different and not so different. But it was something that I felt just because optics, if you look around and you only see one other black person, because I always say this, Rob, reverse it. Wouldn't, would, how would you feel on an island with 14 black people and you and T-Bird. Yeah. I mean, I, you're, you're making a ton of sense, Sean. I, I can't disagree with what you're saying. 
I was just going to say, I love exactly how he's wording all this. I mean, for him to say, you know, through his lens, what when he's looking through, it's his reality. That you And I, it makes absolutely perfect sense, Sean. One million trillion percent. I, I want to throw this in before we get too far away from it. Um, with this, you know, when you were waiting for that call for All Stars, Kelly yeah. Goldsmith that we just we just talked to uh, a couple of weeks ago, the same thing. The day she was supposed to leave, she was packed, ready to go, and she was reaching out to all these people, calling because nobody called her either. However, just like you said, she probably wow. wasn't looking at it like you were looking at it because. She was looking through the different lens. Absolutely. So right. I can absolutely see what you're what you're saying. Hey, T-Bird, thanks for sharing that because I didn't know anyone else went through it. Now, for me, I wasn't necessarily looking at it from the lens of race, like, oh, they didn't pick me because I'm the black. I just was looking at it from based on survivor history. Only one of us are going to be on it. And mm-hmm. that's facts. That ain't about how I feel. It's like, okay. They didn't have the courtesy to call me, but let me wish whoever they pick good luck. And I, I really didn't have anyone else's number, but a few of the brothers. Um, and so that's why we all kind of were like, whoa, what's what's this about? So when the obvious is there, what are we not supposed to acknowledge it? And hear what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say the island should be Wakanda. That's not what the hell I'm saying. So, <laughs> so when you're saying your 70,000 army strong start marching to the wherever the hell they go to to give their two cents yeah tell them to relax i'm sitting here saying you know kind of forever what i am saying um our country and our democracy and survivor which is indicative if it will ever give it a chance right is truly at best when it's diverse Mm -hmm. not when there's tokenism not when there's uh, all the other BS that people when you have a competitive social show, let it reflect America, not just what you think, because there are many people think about when you're a student. This is what I used to feel like as a, a black kid with predominantly white teachers. It's like when you come to school and you don't see yourself. It affects your learning. When you mm-hmm. don't see yourself in the history books, when you don't see yourself in the people that are teaching you, I mean, you you know, you don't know this as a kid, so you do, you know, you probably act out and just kind of whatever, whatever, but it affects you when you don't see yourself represented. So if you're flipping through the channels and you see a show which you think, oh man, it's about camping and surviving, I think I'd do great, and you kind of settle on Survivor and you sit and watch you might get into the show. The show itself sells itself. The brand shows that it'll last forever because of just people's, you know, instinct to want to survive. But if you're an Asian, Latino, black, even poor white, now I would say now I don't know who on the show was a poor white person, but that's mm-hmm. the thing about race. Whether you're poor or rich, race allows you to kind of rise above that if you're white. But if you look, you go, man. Why do you think golf gets its highest ratings when Tiger plays? Because it's not the normal viewers. It's mm-hmm. everybody else going, oh, shoot, let's see if this dude can do it. And, yeah. you know, he's mixed. So I just wish people can be more open about discussing the obvious. Stop getting mad when people like me bring up the obvious. One of the reasons I don't like talking about it because people get so butthurt. I'm like, if you don't like talking about race, imagine what it's like dealing with it every day. Right. 
And the show, you know, is advertised as a, a social experiment. You know, if if it truly is a social experiment of this is, you know, the group of the people, you know, uh, sh- why shouldn't it be more of a cross section of the people that you run into in America? Right. Yeah. I see. That's my only thing. I'm like, and again, I don't want to be the dead horse. I don't want people to be like, oh, we finally got Sean on, and he's still on that bet on black <laughs> shit. But, um, that was a good line, <laughs> though. My life is so much richer than this, but because it's in the context, I will say um, it, it did bother me and it still does in the context. I'm like, how do you have your only African-American female winner not be at like, granted, you didn't bring me back on. I didn't ask to be back on if the fans wanted me or not. Obviously, the people they picked for the all stars was very arbitrary because even people there are people that even as Rob was picked, felt like he didn't even make the jury on our season. So mm-hmm. even to be selected, he has a great character and eventually one of the greatest hey, players. Sean, you're a good guy, but uh, back off on this one. <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm always happy because that's my boy. But I'm saying the process of it was very arbitrary and that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like Survivor is like Burnett and Probst and all those guys' personal monopoly set. Like mm-hmm. one has the shoe, one has the horse. You pick who the hell you want. But how do you not have the Sepia back? Like, Come on, man. It's just glaringly obvious. It ain't just my homegirl. She won the shit. I'm like, it's Outlast, Outwit. I, she did that. Regardless if you don't like her, her game, um, years later, some fans have told me they felt like uh, Sandra was an updated Vesepia. Like the, I think it, one, one guy told me it was the um, long as it ain't me uh, mm-hmm. strategy. Like, whatever. And I don't know if that's a real thing, but I just know, come on, man. Like, you don't have my girl back. And then you keep telling me what I'm saying is not valid. Would you gonna wait till she what eighty years old? And and then like oh we finally yeah okay mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. Hey, wait a minute, Sean. Let's some of us are gonna probably wait till we're eighty. So wait, I don't know if you're making a joke or not. We got the some of the mature ladies yeah. waiting to go back there too. So hey, I just had to throw that in. But you your energy is off the chains uh, uh, and off the rails. So I can see you going back at ninety. <laughs> With the same energy you had. Oh, yeah. When I like real talk. Sean, real talk. It sounds like yes, it babe. sounds like from what you said earlier, you did not see the first three seasons. Is that true? I didn't. You know what's crazy? Um, this is when Blockbuster was still out. I went to Blockbuster and vi- I rented the videotapes of season two. I think it was Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just kind of, I didn't even watch the whole season. I watched like maybe five tapes. And I was confused. I was like, man, what the fuck are they doing with these torches? And what's a merge? When the, when they merging? What the hell are they merging? You know, I was in my head, like, unless you know the game, I was like, man, you know what? Let me take my Bible. Mm-hmm. Let me pray. <laughs> let me do what I've been doing my whole life. It should work out, too. Yeah. It don't, it don't. Well, how did you and end man, up so on I the show? To, I sent in my tape. Um, it was interesting. So Robin Cast yes. casted us. He does um, Big Brother. Big Brother. Yeah. Um, it was a mutual friend who everybody know, um, my boy, um, Mike Boogie. Yes. Who I gave him from, from Big uh, Big Brother. So we all moved to Hollywood, kind of met up. It was the brothers and Mike, right? It was like a bunch of brothers that were actors mm-hmm. from New York, Chicago, different places. And we used to all hang out. I love a hip hop. Mike was that dude, kind of yeah. like Malibu's most wanted. <laughs> right, not right. really. And so we all were cool. We were cool. Just party, hang out, do the Hollywood thing. 
And then um, I think Robin, so I don't know who or when, because like, hey, tell your guys to put a tape, put some tapes together because we're casting for a new season of Survivor. You know, actors in L.A. are like shit, you know. Right. They don't got to know what it is as long as it looks like it could put you on, you know, TV. So we all separately put our tapes together and submitted them. And that was that. Like, you know, of all my boys, I think maybe one other. I, I don't even know who, but mine was sent in. And mine was a tape of me teaching because it was a guy doing the documentary of my life. He was doing one of me, a white guy and a Latino guy wanted to show um, guys who grew up without their father and the cultural influence of their background and how that played out, whatever. I can't remember. And so I asked him, I said, yo, can I get some footage to send into this to this thing? And he gave me some edited footage of me teaching and getting my t- teacher of the year award and um, talking to my students, just whatever. I can't really remember. Sent it in. And then I started the process. You guys know the, yo, and then you get sequestered in, mm-hmm. in Santa Monica and that whole thing. And, you know, just then you know, finally meet Les Moonves, which is the, one of the final steps. But for me, I hadn't known because the actor in me was like, come on, this shit ain't real. Like, I really didn't know it was real till I was out there. Mm-hmm at Ponderosa at the camp, like they gotta be shitting me. So real talk, I was the only contestant. <laughs> I looked around because of course we couldn't talk. And everyone had uh, you know, their whole cargo and safari shit on. And as you see, I'm dressed now, because I'm from Harlem and this is some some real back in the day black cool exploitation, black man hat. I'm out there with a long ass leather trench coat, some Timberlands, a hat. I'm thinking I'm fly, like, yo, <laughs> when the cameras get rolling, they going to get it. Yeah, I'm cool. But I'm burning up hot because mm-hmm. I'm like, this shit is hot as fuck. <laughs> when they going to yell, put us in some kind of trailer and each step of the way with the boat ride and the plane and the thing, I was peeling off the jacket and the hat, then the shirt, and then all of my shit. And I know the, the everybody else is like, who the fuck is this dude out here melting? thinking he's on a runway and eventually I kind of caught wind like yo B this this might be the real deal so I eventually you know put on my clothes and kind of started to blend in but for me every step of the way was a like epiphany of what was to come like I really didn't I was a fish out of water all right that's interesting going into it then so let me ask you this when you came out of it did you get an agent I know you said your hands were a little bit tied with your contract, but you did you end up getting an agent? Here's, here's some more. I actually said some of this years ago. You guys will probably be the last interview I do. I'm sure it'll get back to production. Good. So here's one of the reasons I also, why I had certain feelings and why my ass was a little chapped uh, from the Survivor crew. So afterward, I always had an agent. I had an agent and a manager before, before the show and after the show. After the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, after the show, my manager, people were hitting my manager up. Um, Bruce Willis hit my manager of his company. Um, the vice president of Viacom. Like, I had some mm-hmm. major people hit me up. I was humble. Like, I'm humble now. I was like, Burr. my manager was like, man, um, you know. And I'm like, all right. And so she set up these meetings. The, the Viacom deal you know, I realized that Viacom owned everything, Showtime, MTV, CBS. And um, that meeting, they wanted to give me a holding deal 
to figure out a project for me as an actor, which, you know, as an actor, it was during pilot season, uh, whatever that number was. I was like, cool, because pilot season is normally just you auditioning, kind of like a crapshoot. So I'm like, man, my manager was like, man, they're, they're hot on you. So right now, let's milk this thing. I'm like, all right. So they were trying to figure out. And one of the things that piqued their interest was the episode with uh, Pappy and I, mm-hmm. um, where we won the challenge. And so they were kind of trying to pitch uh, like Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan, you know, Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte. You know, not necessarily like that, but that's how they were pitching it, like an opposite thing, whatever. I was with like, Pascal? Right, no, not with okay. him. Okay, <laughs> if somebody else. You know, yeah. Pascal, yeah. <laughs> he's gonna give up his judgment. <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies out the real Beverly Hillbilly, but no, I don't think he would have came. Right, anyway, right. With that, plus meetings with uh, Bruce Willis's company. Like I had a bunch of meetings. Mm-hmm. Then, lo and behold, we get a phone call. A manager's like, "Man, I got bad news." I'm like what? Now, mind you, we were negotiating with Viacom. Like they, I was meeting with them on a weekly basis. It was just real cool right. because the head of casting also had seen some some stuff I did here and there. You know, it was just actor talk and business talk. But and when you're an actor, you get excited. You're like, all right, this might lead to some. So people from SEG, which fans don't may not know, that's the uh, company of, mm-hmm. with the, the Survivor brand. That's Burnett's new brand. They called, somebody called. Uh, Viacom, I guess they caught wind that, you know, what was happening with me. One, they wanted to remind me that I was still under contract and I couldn't do anything unless we got permission. Mm -hmm. And two, they kind of messed my deal up because they kind of reminded Viacom, like, you guys know, being that he's under contract with us and you guys own us, you know, CBS and the brand, technically, He's under contract already. So there's no need to kind of give him a holding deal because he can't do anything unless, you know, it was that whole thing. Right, right. And I was like, yo, why are they they messing my shit up, man? Right. I was like, why would they do it? Yeah, what do they care? All of those deals, they fell through. Now, here's the kicker. I look up. I don't don't remember how soon after, but I look up and I start seeing Hunter doing commercials with flashlights and Mm -hmm. hunting shit or whatever. I see... You know, Rob is starting to host whatever. And, you know, just I see Kobe doing stuff. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, so then I was like, man, do they got it out for me? Like, I I ain't do nothing to nobody. Why are they messing up my money? And I was like, man, you know what? I'm good. So on top of everything I already said, it was also some of that. Now, they may deny or act like they don't remember, but I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really upset too right now because I'm thinking of everything that we missed out on because when you told me what you had, what you were wearing out there, thinking you were going to get dressed, go in the trailer, change clothes, I could see you as the Indiana Jones, right? And we missed out on <laughs> Indiana that. Jones. I, I see that. Yeah, with the, with the hat and the jackets and all that he had on. I could see that was the part we, we missed out on with them not letting Sean do anything. Indiana Jones. Just remember, that's what I said. T-Bird, I'm glad they didn't air half the stuff, but I definitely, I mean, just imagine a long ass burgundy leather coat, like shack. <laughs> Literally, it was like <laughs> to your ankles. Seriously. I, and yeah, I was like, I'm just chilling, but I'm like, damn, this, you know, I'm trying to look cool because I'm like, the, no one's talking. I'm like, whoo. 
this hot ass jacket in this humid ass heat. And so, yeah, eventually I caught wind, but I'm glad they didn't. You were going to be the city version of Indiana Jones. It would have fit. It would have worked. Hey, let me ask you this. If if you're not really watching yes. much of the seasons now, I know that you, like you said, you're, you still are good friends with the Seppi, of, of course, and Boston Rob. Yeah. Are you watching? Yeah. Are you watching these seasons that Boston Rob has played in or will play in, like for season thirty nine? Will you watch his season thirty nine? Nah, I don't watch none of that. Like normally, when I call Rob, I, like what I may do is tune in towards the latter part when it's already at the jury or it, just to watch an episode just to talk shit with him. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I don't give a damn. Um, and then I, one of the recent ones, I don't, it might even be this season. I'm like, they got a, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> they got a big, big ass head of Sandra and Rob. Like, yes, yes. Is this where That's the next it? one. That's <laughs> a, that one's coming on in the fall. You should watch that one. Yep. <laughs> they taking it. It's, it's too much, but it's a reflection of Jeff's man crush. I believe it's Jeff. It could be others, but it's his man crush. Cause I'm like, and here's the thing. I've told Rob we've many ways to milk this survivor thing, being that he's the godfather mm-hmm. of this thing. Um, he has not taken any of my ideas, although one was taken seriously. Uh, and then here's another thing. Like, Rob and I are really, really close. Can you get what kind of ideas do you give him? Oh, you want to know? Okay. Yeah. So I told I said, look, dude. Because, you know, none of us could use the name. We all got to be ambiguous yeah, yeah, if we yeah, decide yeah. to do all this silly shit, right? So I said, um, yo, dude, I said, you and Amber should um, start a survivor camp, like either for kids or adults. Either way, mm-hmm. people would pay a shitload of money to be with Boston, Rob, and Amber because you guys are like survivor royalty. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I would prefer kids because I always think, you know, let's do it for the kids. And uh, and I told, I said, you can have survivor themed uh, events and type things. Um, and, you know, you charge people, but, you know, it, it's within reason. And let that be your new thing that you're doing. Um, because, you know, he was looking for the next thing. You know, he was doing right. the whole, uh, he was gambling and whatever. He was doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, poker. He was producing, yeah. poker, right, doing, but, and so, he actually, we actually talked about it. it. It didn't really go anywhere, but he thought about it. But then he turned around and was like, hey, hey, Sean, I uh, got this idea. Um, <laughs> I was like, Uh-oh, Rob. Like, Competition, like, Rob. Competition. You've known him longer. Mine, mine is not good, but I, I just had to do that. Hey, yours, like, pretty, um, yours is pretty good, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go any further because then it'll start sounding like uh, Black Rob, and then it'll just. <laughs> it um, but he was like, "Yo, I, you know, I'm producing." He was like, "Let me produce you." Yeah. He 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 actually shot. He wanted to do a reality show on my program in the inner city. What mm-hmm. I'm doing. So he brought his production crew. They actually started shooting, and he was going to produce the. Sean Rector works in the inner city. You know, I don't know what he would have called it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, it never panned out because of, you know, production issues and all of that. But yeah, man, me, me and Rob would have been back together working again. So the public would have got a taste of uh, our little uh, New York, Boston rivalry again. <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, can you uh, talk about your experience in uh, Marquesas in the in the early going and like your uh, first impression with uh, all these people? Because I think that, uh, you know, people still really remember the, you calling Cleopatra coming into uh, the uh, on the raft. Uh, that that scene that, that really uh, was very memorable of uh, Sarah in the in the raft. So. I just say what's on my mind. Part of why I used to get kicked out of class and why I was going mm-hmm. to class clown. And I just say whatever's on my mind. Um, when I looked at the season, some of the stuff I, I was like, oh, my God. What you know, because I don't like hurting anyone's feelings. Um, I'm real sensitive to, you know, I like. If you can take a joke with me, but I don't ever want to be have anyone the butt of a joke. So I would look and be like, oh, man. But, you know, I didn't know what they were going to air. You know, mm-hmm. your first time on there, the producers are asking you. They know. Now we know they do lead in questions and probably knowing, you know, my just like Rob. Both of us were pretty much candid in some of the silly stuff we said. But mm-hmm. um, uh, I just called it like I saw, you know, I, I thought I was like, why is this chick not rowing? Like, you know, I mean, even though she did just she was the way she was basking in the sun. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, is she bugging? Like, what is she doing? And, you know, but that was just my interpretation. I I just thought Cleopatra because we were all literally (laughs) lifting this raft and pushing it and all of that. So, yeah. But Sarah and I are close to even I don't keep in touch with a whole lot of people. But in general, like. I was at her wedding. Like most of us were real tight after. Mm-hmm. Really. Sean, I don't think that uh, Sarah minded the Cleopatra title. Do you? No. She milked that's it. Not a, as yeah. Matter of fact, I, yeah. Think it worked I think so. That was yeah. her thing. It was. It was. So, I mean, I'm glad she was able to milk it because, um, you know, I was hoping it didn't come off. You know, I, I listened to my commentary and I was like, damn. Another thing I realized in, in, in looking at myself on TV, and also observing a very cranky, hungry, comfortable. I was like, man, I had a strong New York black vernacular going. And I was like, but it was interesting because I would I would be on airplanes grading papers and just doing my teacher thing at the time. And I remember people thinking, like, how's this guy a teacher? He sounds whatever. And I remember thinking, like, um, I I was raised as I taught and still teach my kids. We have to learn how to code switch, meaning when we speak the way we speak, it sounds like every other person's colloquial slang, geographic accent, twang. But again, the racial thing, which you you deal with all your life when you black and you're not speaking standard English or you have double negatives or you're not conjugating every verb, then people are like, what's wrong with you? Like they assume your intelligence because the black vernacular which you speak is the way your family speaks. It's the way your homies speak. Mm-hmm. And so when you're educated and when you become educated, you realize code switching is how we survive. Meaning when I'm in interviews, even right now, you may hear some of my language a little more cleaned up because code switching means we always, which is why we usually do good in Survivor, because we have to be social chameleons. We always have to make sure that People are, are interpreting us the correct way that we're, you know, that I always tell our kids, if you live in the hood, standard English is not going to help. That doesn't mean, you know, um, sound illiterate because people then can conflate the two. It just means that the way your friends talk, talk that way. 
you you know, you might need to get home by saying, yo, B, I'm good. Or, yo, you, you know, guys are like, yo, where you from? You know, that's, that's hood talk for what gang you from. And, you know, you saying, well, actually, I was born uh, in Belize. And if you would let me explain much, you know, whatever, <laughs> I'm like, that's not going to help. Mm-hmm. But in, in an academic setting, when you're writing essays for your SATs, for college prep, certain interviews, you got to conjugate. Got to leave out the double negatives. And it's not just me. Mm-hmm. People who come from all over sometimes have to drop their accent, their cultural accent um, and different things. So when I just for me personally, when I look back, I was like, dang, in certain aspects of Survivor, I sounded black as hell. I was like, dang, I ain't realized, you know, we were that comfortable because you forget the cameras were rolling. And I'm like, ah, it is what it is. But I just hated that. There were people that uh, questioned my intelligence or my profession or what I did based on what they saw. Because I grew up with many uh, uh, white teachers who dressed crazy and sounded even crazier. (laughs) And no one questioned um, (laughs) what they taught or how they taught. So I always, I don't know, just just something I'm throwing out there. I probably didn't need to say that, but I'm saying it anyway. No, but I think the point about being a social chameleon is is a, a really interesting one and one that I that I had never heard uh, talked about. That is uh, something that, uh, you know, a, a person of color might have to deal with that uh, could be something that actually helps you pl- play in the game of Survivor because you're used to having to sort of like be in these two different worlds. And I, I can't speak very much, but if you ever have a conversation, a real conversation with Sari, mm-hmm. with Vesepia with Earl, with Sheehan, with Yao Man, with Sandra. If they're honest, and again, I can't speak for anybody, they'll all have to say that there was a part of them that had to make sure everybody didn't play into tropes and stereotypes about who they were. So they have to, you have to be the, the cool black chick who's uplifting everybody or the funny black dude or um the quiet one, like anything extra could be seen through a racial trope that mm-hmm. can work against you. So you constantly have to make sure that everybody know you're not a threat. You're not, you know, whatever, whatever. And that that's after a while. That's why even on my, my episode, there were moments where you saw that were less, you know, the way I went off where I was like everyone else. I was cranky and probably yelled and said some crazy shit. Um, but it was no different than, Rob or anyone else is just when you're this um, and again it does it does play that because I often wish like my boarding school hurt Milton Hershey like I wish there was a situation in which white and black and brown could truly be in a situation where we can just deal with each other based on personalities like I think Chris Rock said it's like we're in America we know equality is equality when um we can fail as equal as a white person without the, the stereotypes that go with it. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember his whole mm-hmm. shtick, but it was like, you know, where you can, where failing as a black person doesn't also go along with see how they are or we knew he would, you know, whatever. Even if it's in, in, in our, our own, because a lot of it comes from our experience. This is what we used to deal with. I just wish survivor i mean society is probably a little bit too um uh um a utopia that i probably is too much dreaming involved but i just wish there was if survivor like it's mm-hmm. all it is is casting obviously we're not gonna in america but casting can at least go you know what yeah let's create a season or some shows where 
Like, look at Rob and I alliance. Rob is the kind of guy that went, I went to school with. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, the whole racial thing I didn't get. I'm like, Rob and I is still cool to this day. And so was Sarah and I. I, I actually went to Tammy's house. Like, afterwards, like, I was kicking it with a lot of the folks that had nothing to do with the show. Um, I would see people like T-Bird, um, different old school survivors. We would kick it at these Cincinnati and Richmond, Virginia gigs. And oh. we'd drink and be merry and talk shit. And it was like, it was a good time. And you realize that, damn, why doesn't this play out? Because the social setting in terms of Survivor is different. You're competing for a million dollars. And if you have 14 white people, then there's something that bonds them immediately that they don't have to think. But when you're the non-white person, you're like, damn, no matter what, I, I can't change. Even if I'm articulate, even if I'm talking slang, even if I'm from New York, if I'm from L.A., even if I'm whatever, whatever my thing is, you can't say you don't see color unless you're colorblind. You see it. And that's where it'd be the same way. Listen, you get a white guy that come on a basketball court mm-hmm. and I'm giving a hypothetical. Some black. That's what white men can't jump. They made a movie based on these very assumptions. Mm-hmm. The assumption is, oh, white boy, you know, obviously you can't do that anymore because, you know, but I'm just saying, I'm just using an old stereotype in a setting where it's like, yo, maybe the white guy can't play. And then you pick him up and he's Woody Harrelson. He's shooting jumpers. He's dunking, mm-hmm. you know, he's, and so people only go based on their experience, right? And I always say, like, and there's a difference. We all, all can be prejudiced and biased, but we all can't be racist. Racism is, has mechanisms that backs it up. It has systems. It has things in place that says, if you're a white person and you feel a certain way about me, well, there's systems in place that can back that up. If you're a white woman and you say, look, I feel uncomfortable, guess what? There are police that will come just on the, that assumption without proof. Mm-hmm. And I'm just giving one example of what white privilege looks like so that people can know what racism feels like when you have a historical context. But we all can be prejudiced. I can prejudge you. I can even be biased. Um, But it's a deeper conversation that I always say when it comes to race, we never really get to see what it would be like when it's truly diverse, except for the season that Earl won. I was like, well, why don't you do that more? Because you see, you did it, and I mean, he won, and I'm not saying that's indicative or not, but I'm just saying, like, you and I both know Survivor's a lot of luck, so whoever wins, it's not necessarily because you were the greatest outthinker, but at least you can say, all things even, you know, the cast was diverse in terms of what you bring culturally and racially. That's mm-hmm. it. Well, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, Sean, but I'm afraid no. this might do it. So when I look... When I look back at your 30-year-old self on Marquesas, now one of your fans wanted me to ask you this. Okay, not really. It's me. I want to ask you this. Do you still have those washtub abs? I got to know. I got to know. Um, at age 47, do you still have your washtub abs? Um, 48 next month. Let's get it correct, T-Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here's the thing. Well, you're not, you okay, so 40, 47 and a half. 47 and a half. 47 and a half. I earned them years. Um, um, you guys know we look better on TV than we actually are. Meaning like I look on our season, we were glistening like with that Manoy mm-hmm. oil. Like, I'm like, what the fuck were we doing? It just, yeah. people didn't realize that to keep the bugs off. But on screen, it looks like these oiled up, 
bodies of, you know, so of course my abs stood out because yeah, I worked out and I was pretty, but when you lose weight, yeah. um, it just exposed more of the muscle and, and not so much of the fat. So, um, I, I don't have a, 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 a six pack. I think I got probably a four pack. Yeah. But it speaks to how tough of a season that you guys had because of there was so there was so little food. You guys were so malnourished by uh, the end of the season. And I feel like that that's the kind of thing that doesn't really come through on the show. I feel like that when it rains and there's a downpour, I think that that's the type of thing like, oh, OK, it's really hard out there. But I, I think that you guys in talking to people from your season, you guys played in one of the toughest seasons, right? So that's one of the reasons I get upset with Jeff and them. I'm like, dude, stop talking. You can tell him I said it. I know he's, he's used mm-hmm. to right kissing his butt. I hate reading articles where I'm like, could you at least fake like your objective? Like, I get it if you're asked, what's your least favorite? But he kind of goes in on our season. I'm like, you were out there. But once again, you didn't play. Mm-hmm. You still, you were able to go to Ponderosa and cover up. Like, dude, part of. I think what made our season, and I'm I'm not even being biased. I'm just saying, like, we were not only not giving food, but those bugs, like, it was psychologically was so damaging. Like, uh, it, like to literally look at these bugs bite you and have to watch it and be okay with it because you're like, what am I swatting? Like, it's a million bugs out here. Mm-hmm. Um, the audience really would never understand how tough it was. And then, you know, when you look, I look at seasons after the ones I would peek in or watch, I'm like, when they started giving more food and like contestants were looking way healthier as they got to the end, we all look like crackheads at the end. Like yeah. seriously, <laughs> we were out looking malnutrition. Um, people don't realize how serious it was for Pappy to have um, had to be, he was hella vacked out because he fainted. Right. After, after he was voted out, then he wasn't at the next tribal council because he had to go get medical attention. Yes, that's what after he was voted out, we were mm-hmm. going out for a uh, tribal and he was literally standing in front of me. And I'm like, yo. And of course, John jumped in and uh, started doing his nurse thing, checking his pulse mm-hmm. thing. And then finally, everyone. Came. But it was like, even after we were off, we were like on adrenaline. And I don't even think they were ready for it. So I just feel like our season should be given more credit. And I'm not even saying by the fans, the fans. But I'm like, come on, Jeff, from production standpoint. How do you not have Vesepia on there when she won on the season that had one of the worst conditions ever that mm-hmm. not only affected our, our physical, but our, our mental and our state of mind? So, yes, it, it was horrible. I think you guys mentioned this, but I just want to clarify. So this was the Marquesas was the very first time y'all had no supplies, no food, water, matches, rice, canned goods. You had none of that. You just had crates with, a like, a magnifying glass. Three pans, a fillet mm-hmm. knife, and two water containers. So did y'all just go out oh. immediately and start fishing? What did you eat the first couple of days, if anything? Well, if you look at the tribes, on our tribe, we had more of a tropical side. So it, it were, there were much more fruit. So we had a lot of mangoes and grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Um, we just was on a real acidic fruit diet. But, you know, it was better than nothing. Uh, some coconut. Um, so there was, you know, a lot of laxative, a lot of... <laughs> A lot yeah. of stomach issues oh. going on. I always oh. had the stomach issues even before I went out there, so it made it worse. But um, then on the other side, it was a little more rugged. The the um, terrain was a little bit uh, different. So they had they and then eventually we had to forage for our food a little bit more. 
um, there was really no sustenance. On the, it was more like shellfish, the, mm. um, the shellfish on the rocks and the coconut. I mean, that's pretty much what got us through. There wasn't any substantial. We, we, we set up some kind of trap. I, I think John or the general <laughs> made some kind of boar trap that never worked. The shit was yeah. going crazy. Wishful <laughs> thinking had us every day like, yo, did we catch anything? Like, we were all like, it might be something. Yeah. Sean, you mentioned coconuts, and coconuts played a big part in your season because there was that historic challenge where they had to chop down the coconuts in the order of who you wanted to be eliminated, and you were part of that group that saw, like, can't you see what the pecking order is here? And there was the big flip at the final nine where John got uh, knocked out of the game. Can you just talk a little bit about how that all came together? Definitely. They never really gave me the credit for the turnaround. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Uh, what is what it is. Everybody on the show know that it was me that sparked the greatest turnaround in Survivor history. Mm-hmm. And I say that not because I want credit or because I'm like, ha, I did it. I just, when you look at editing, I'm like, just tell the story. Tell what happened. Stop, mm-hmm. you know, listen to Jeff's voice narrating. You start realizing how subjective it becomes and like so i so here's what happened um myself rob and Vesepia knew we were on the outs um you know bonds are easy are not easily broken especially when you start out so we got that we were original maramu they were road to um i kind of when we were all on one island as maramu mm-hmm. it was like 10 of us before rob out. i kind of had a feeling rob would go just because he was he was doing a lot more alpha male ish than I was. You know, both of us pretty much were neck and neck. But I, in my mind, I was like, "Shit, let me shut my black ass up and let him take the lead." Once somebody, but I'm like, "All right." So once I realized, "All right, they're gonna go for Rob," especially because he kind of went at uh, John pretty yeah. hard, and you know, he he was calling people out, which I was with him every step of the way. I was like, "Dude, how I roll is." I'm loyal. I'm cool. I mean, it's still a game, but you, my boy. Plus, it, it, I'm next. So let's if we're gonna go out, let's do. The Sepia started to back out of our loop. She, you know, she started playing the game. I mean, mm-hmm. she's been playing the game, but she started to kind of distance herself from us. I was like, Damn, sis, like this how you gonna do us? This to myself, but I was like, whatever. Teachers on. Yeah. Bob gets voted out. So now it's down to the final now. Um, I already knew I was next. So I was like, cool. I, you know, I, but part of but see, here's the thing. I'm a fighter, man. I'm, I'm a competitor. It's like, you ain't going to just have me out here. Just, since I'm out here, let me at least try to win. You know, I play college ball. I play high school ball, track. You know, like most people who do sports, um, you know, you have that, that competitive thing. So I'm like, man, this, this is crazy. So I said, I already knew Pascal and Nalia had certain reservations about me because I knew Gina really didn't like me. And, and it, I didn't even need to see the, when it came on TV, I just could tell from our interaction, whatever. But when um, Kathy and Rob came over after we we merged as a 10, uh, Kathy had shared with Rob some of the things that spoke out. So then Rob subsequently had shared with me some of the things that they were talking about us. And then I can, I can deduce mm-hmm. what, what else was said. And I was like, I'm so good. So I already knew Pasco and Nalia just would never ever see eye to eye with me. I had their own that's fine. But Kathy, like Rob, 
reminds me of many. She's kind of like T-Bird. She's like the middle-aged, cool white lady that's like, you use white as the adjective, but that's not really it. You use it just so people can get a quick optics of what it is. Kind of like people go, you know, short black guy, you know, you just kind of, mm. but it's not indicative. It's like you're really the rad, you know, the kind of rad single mom who you can drink with and talk shit with. Like mm -hmm. that was Kathy. And I love it. And here she's from Burlington, Vermont. So I'm like, man, Kathy don't seem so hell bent on, you know, on on how Pascal was in my opinion. at that time it, it's not indictment Pascal but he just was older you know his demographic more conservative I got so I'm like yo I I said let me go to Vesepia first I said look sis I'm going out and you're behind me so this whole trying to act like you down with them mm -hmm. never works in our favor so let's see what we can do she was like alright bro let's see what's up I was like alright let me work on Kathy. Maybe you can work on the Leah and Pat because they definitely ain't going to listen to me. She was like, I, I sit down with, with Kathy and I'm like, yo, Kat. And then so she and I, were, and we got close early on because if her and Rob got along, then her and I, I knew we'd get along, which we did. And she's like, Sean, you know, she was always the ambivalent, second guessing. I'm like, look, these guys have no plans on keeping you guys at all. They already have their voting block before trying to explain it. I said, you guys keep looking, trying to kill the messenger and not listening to the message. Trust me, after I'm gone, it's Vesepia and then you, because you're a threat. And then between Pasco and Nalia, it'll be a toss up because they're a voting block. So she started to see. She was like, she was like, I don't know. She started, I was like, All right. I, I just planted a seed. Mm -hmm. I didn't even say anything to Pasco and Nalia. So we go to the challenge. It was the coconut thing. And this was just a weird twist of fate. So the coconut game, oh, obviously I'm first. They targeted me. I'm like, could y'all be so arrogant? But mm -hmm. I took tongue in cheek. I even, you know, kissed John my ass. Yeah. like, whatever, dude. Then Vesepi is next. And we're sitting there like, yo, you see this? Now y'all, I'm like, look at them. They arrogant. Like, mm -hmm. oh, talk about hubris. And so um, I can't remember who was next. Maybe Kat, whatever it was. I'm like, see, this is how they... Y'all not understanding. Like, I didn't know that's how it was going to go in terms of the challenge. So later on that day, we get back to camp. And you can see that Pascal and Malia, like, there was too much gloating from the original four. So I then go to Captain. She was like, I didn't like what I saw. I was like, all right. I mean, if that's what it took. So later on that night, Pascal was up. Everyone was sleeping. Pascal was up. And remember, Pascal and I had already had um, – um, we, we, you, the camera didn't really show, but we, it was an energy between us that was like, you could tell we were two like alpha dogs who, you know, and it wasn't obvious. It was just, I could tell. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let me put down and respect my elders. I was raised. I sat down and kicked it with you late at night. Nobody was up, but he and I, we must've talked for about two hours and we just talked and shared things. He told me some things. You know, I, I clarified and we just talked. I can't remember everything we talked about, but we just talked like men kicked it. I, I was very humble and, and respectful of him. And, you know, I just said, listen, whatever happens, I, I still mean what I said. I'm like, these guys don't plan to have you guys at the end. So mm -hmm. however y'all want to play it, I just said, it would be a thing that all of us came out to take second and third. I'm like, isn't the whole point to win? Like, so I think that's when it started to ring the bells. I'm like, forget my personal narrative. 
don't you want to win? Didn't your family send you out here to win this joint? Mm-hmm. So I think, so that's what happened. So I can't remember how a series of events went, but we then all started to collaborate. And then I think the TV showed the scene in the tent when all of us, when Neela was like, I'm not going to go out there. I worked too hard, whatever her little narrative, mm-hmm. which yeah. she said, I'm not taking it away from her, but the narrative was way too heavily favored as though she had an epiphany and we all went along, which I was like, okay. But so we all agreed. We're like, all right, let's cut the head off. John is first. Then the general or Tammy. We really were like Tammy. We were like, let's take Tammy and John. And then the general and Zoe. But if they win, you know, we were like, whoever, however present. So that's why at the, um, that's what played out. So yeah. <laughs> So when we got there, I was in my mind, I still wasn't sure it was going to work. I was like, these people really going to believe my black ass? All right, let's go with it, bro. Yeah. And we sat there, and and when it worked, I was like, oh, shit, there's life. Yeah. There's life. And um, the, the, every day afterwards, you could see the original, now it was down to three, you can see the, the life got sucked out of them because they just knew. Mm-hmm. They were gonna, you know, waltz their way to the final four. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to hide my excitement as you're talking about this because I, I still remember watching that play out on the TV show that night and it was just, uh, it just blew my mind that this could happen in the game because there had never been a, a swing like that that happened where the uh, entire balance of power just got flipped over in one vote. Like you two, you guys yeah. thought you were at the top, now you're at the bottom. But you know what's funny? I didn't know the history of the game. I just know life. Like, keep fighting, man. That isn't that that's Jimmy V. That's every cliche and not so cliche slogan that you hear in sports and in life is like, just keep fighting. Just keep fighting. Don't give up. Especially, I'm like, yo, you, we we sacrifice being away from our families. We we don't have any food. Like it was just the I'm like, how do we make it this far? And you guys are okay being voted out mm-hmm. and like come on. so anyway i'm glad it worked out i'm not going to take complete credit because obviously they had the light bulb had to go off remember i had nothing to lose so mm-hmm. like i'm talking to you now exactly how i was talking now i'm like look i already know my lot in life um and again it's hard to have these discussions because black and white don't ever really talk about our realities so oftentimes when you're black you're used to first First fired, last hired. So you just kind of hope you could just get through. And when your numbers call, you're like, oh, here you go. Here you go, that BS. So when it don't pan out there, you're like, oh, I actually get to, you know, based on my merit and based on just me being, you know, a decent dude, get to, you know, see this thing through. I was like, all right, cool. And you got to remember, this is how we were at Milton Hershey. All colors of kids. Thing we had in common is that we had single parent homes or divorced parents. We had to milk cows every morning, 5 a.m. We had to do crazy chores. We were just so like, and we were looked at as the orphans. Like we would play other schools in central Pennsylvania. And all of us kids were looked at as the orphans, black, white, and other. So we knew how to bond based on the thing that wasn't so obvious, obvious of our color, but what else binds us? What's the thing we have in common? And uh, Rob reminded me of my best friend, who died of cancer at 16, named Mike Troisi, Italian boy from uh, Youngstown, Ohio. May he rest in peace. And um, 
at Milton Hershey, like it was my boy, like, and uh, you know, he he just Rob always reminded me of him, and I'm like, man, it sucks in America that when you black and you speak your mind, everybody try to shut you up, like, but real people recognize. <clears throat> That whether you're black, white, or whatever, whatever your lot in life, even if you're a white supremacist and your upbringing is, you know, you think all people are, if they're not pure, there's some redemptive qualities in you if people get to know you. I mean, I have friends who are staunch Republicans, Trump supporters, Republicans, hardcore, who I love to death. We just politically do not agree at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm cool with that. I mean, we ain't got to hate each other just because, but you ain't got to hate me either because of my perspective. Or talk crazy because you don't get what I'm saying. Go ahead. I mean to take too long on that answer. <laughs> no, I mean that's what that's why we have you here. And uh, definitely, Sean. I mean, you were instrumental on the flip of the road to four. You 100%. I'm giving you all that credit. I'm going to ask you this: um, at the final immunity challenge, if Novacipia made the deal, uh, Kathy dropped out, Nalia stepped down, and Vasipia made that deal with Nalia. If uh, that had not happened and Vesipia had a, been sitting at the final two with Kathy, would the results still be the same? Now, I know Vesipia beat Nalia four to three. How do you think it would have played out if it had been a final two of Vesipia and Kathy? So my answer is not only no, but hell to the no. It would not have happened. Um, first of all. So Vesipia, okay. Yeah, Vesipia would have definitely. As a matter of fact, it would have been. A, Kathy would have got a landslide. It would have been 8-1 because mm-hmm. Giuseppe would have got my one. But um, Kathy was beloved. Yeah. She started out. Remember, everyone on the on the jury was rolled to except Giuseppe and I. Um, so they had that going. Secondly, um, <clears throat> Kathy was winning a lot of those uh, individual immunities. Giuseppe did too. So mm-hmm. I don't want to take that away from Um And I just think Vesepia barely won. It was 4-3. And I think the only reason Nalia didn't get it because they felt the fact that she sided with us. She betrayed and the row two group. Yeah. Although, as, as she should have, right? She should not have been happy with her mm-hmm. lot in life. But also, I think people felt like she played the game a little late. Like, and I, I, that ain't me saying it. I don't care how you play it. You make it to the end, and that was the goal. Right. But, but she said tell. that. She was the one that, that first said that, you know, when they asked her about what, what she did, that she first said that I, you know, started playing when we got to when it was the coconut job. And, and I think that people, they, they used her words against her with that. Right. So I, I didn't even remember that. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think using it against her because then you start looking. I don't care. Vesepia deserved it over Kathy and anyone. Mm-hmm. People failed to realize we were the only two left from the original tribe first. Secondly, we were only two black people that stuck together and made it together. Thirdly, Vesepia is smart as shit. Like, she's, she looks like the girl next door. But first of all, I didn't even know she was writing in her journal, keeping record of everybody's whatever the hell, Mm -hmm. you know, and you don't know how that's going to play out, but I'm thinking she's writing (laughs) daily meditations and, and, you know, godly words Mm -hmm. of wisdom. And she's sitting there going, 
would you look at this dude and his little purple thing and his socks and ooh, and he's a nurse from Omaha. Okay. Mm-hmm. She writing all these little tidbits. That was genius. <laughs> what a journal. And I'm like, yo, you bought this to write about. And the fact that she originally was with Robin and she went under the radar. And I just think <laughs> when you're underestimated, I always tell my students, if you play chess, don't ever underestimate your opponent. You'll look up and it'll be checkmate. Mm-hmm. Every great chess player knows. Do yeah. not underestimate anyone. I don't care if you that they were loud, if they were soft spoken, taking consideration everything. I just think they were they were like, oh, they, she she didn't even wasn't on anyone's radar. So that's why I think fans go, oh, she was boring. She didn't do anything. I'm like, that's the point. Some people in Survivor realize not being on a radar. I don't care if you don't like me as long as the check clears and I get to cash that shit. Yeah. You know, Shauna, I know every, everybody remembers, uh, you know, that you were outspoken talking about race on Survivor. But I think that uh, a lot of people forget that you were one of the spe- uh, people on Survivor that uh, spoke the most about faith on Survivor. I know that was something that bonded you and Vesepia. H- how much did uh, that bond the two of you? You know, what's funny. I, I'm glad you brought that up, Rob, because. I do. I talk about a lot of stuff, but obviously, I mean. It's like whenever you are not afraid to speak your truth, people try to use it against you. I'm like, you can't use my faith against me. You, do you know, biblically, God chose the most messed up people to do the most righteous things because it's not about being perfect. It's about if God can use you. And, and everyone knows I'm the only person that bought a Bible, brought a Bible as my luxury item. Because the word says man can't live on bread and water, but by word, by the word of God. So for those who want to see me as a one dimensional player, throw in that I'm a God fearing man as well. While you're talking about race, this race, that throw in that I want a truck and gave all the glory to God mm-hmm. through my Lord and Savior. And I ain't see a whole bunch of Christians backing me up. Not that I needed to see them because I got a lot of death threats. Remember this, but we were the season before social media. So it was strictly email and CBS instructed us to send after a while I stopped sending it because I was getting the kind of stuff that um, these four congressional women in Congress are getting mm-hmm. hardcore, believe me. So anyway, yeah. So people were sending you uh, threatening emails because of the things you were talking about on the show? I, I mean, you can't explain why people are sending you death threats. I mm-hmm. Remember, we go on the show not to be Right. have incendiary remarks and we just, you just whatever it's like so yeah i was getting n-word we gonna kill you um uh you lucky like i, I don't even want to go right it, right right but you can you can use it yeah it was crazy and and here's the thing as you know what was scary is that people don't realize that when you're a reality star or real you're not a real celebrity like you get the fame without the money like we don't have pr people your address doesn't change yeah. overnight, um, you know. And so then, and even to a certain extent now, we were easily accessible to people. Because mm-hmm. if someone wanted to really touch you, they could. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, that's another reason why I kind of tapped out. I'm like, yo, America is crazy. <laughs> There's people blowing up schools and mosques and, and doing crazy stuff. Let me just tap out because people don't know this is a show. It's for entertainment. And the only people that really go through it are the contestants. Mm-hmm. You, the fan, can sit there and play Monday quarterback and 
figure out who your favorites and not favorite. But those of us that are out there, and see, all I can judge was my one season. I didn't know in other seasons they were getting more food and the conditions were a lot better. All I know is Mark Casey uh, felt like uh, hell. Mm-hmm. And, and it was hell. Two degrees shy. Well, I was going to say Africa was a little bit rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you both of you two had bad. it rough. <laughs> you guys had it rough, too. <laughs> I'll give you that. Give you that. <laughs> so, Sean, I think you mentioned this, mentioned this at the very beginning, or maybe Rob did. So, Survivor Marquesas was actually supposed to be shot in Survivor. Uh, it's supposed to be Survivor Arabia in Jordan because of the uh, September 11th and all the political situations in the Middle East. Of course, they moved it to Marquesas. But... If it had been in Jordan, I think I read that y'all were supposed to enter in on camels. And I think that would look amazing with the outfit yeah. you had on with the hat and the big coat on a camel. Well, and, and the Cleopatra how, stuff would how. really work then. Yeah. It would have. Oh, yeah. Um, that's interesting that you remember that little tidbit there. Um, you know, it's funny. We prepared for Jordan. Mm-hmm. So our cases were so last minute. And then, you know, the research I did, all I knew was that. Um, Moby Dick and the whole um, you know the author I can't think of his name because my brain is kind of fried right now mm-hmm. but uh, Melvin, Melvin um, wrote it out there inspired by the Polynesian and, you know it was more all this Polynesian stuff uh, Jordan I was like after 9-11 I'm like are we really going to have to survive Al Qaeda like in my mind because remember mm-hmm. I was a novice I didn't know so <laughs> in my mind I was like you know Iraq Saddam Hussein, Al Qaeda. I'm like, why are we going? Mm-hmm. You know, this was, you know, when 9/11 had everyone afraid of Middle Eastern people, and everyone was a terrorist, and it was all this propaganda then. So, yeah, when they changed it, it was a sigh of relief. Uh, Sean, can I ask you about one of the uh, funnier moments that stands out from your season? That when Pascal and Nalia went on the reward, and they went to the, they went on dinner on the boat. And then uh, they they came back and that uh, Nalia offered uh, she was trying to be nice. She offered if anybody wanted the mint that, that she had from that. She was uh, she was sucking on a mint T-bird of uh, from her dinner and then wanted to know if anybody want, would like that mint then. Right. So um, <laughs> I think the camera actually showed it. Um, I think we were like, what? Like, because previous <laughs> Pascal and I had brought back food. Like, here's the thing that people don't realize. Right. Like, that's my future. Like, I, I, I don't care if I don't like you. I don't want to see you hurt. Um, so when Pascal and I agreed to bring back food, um, you know, and again, the producers, I think, also had something to do with that because I don't think they would have let her take food off a ship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like our situation. They shut it down. Different. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were like, nah, we ain't let go. So, um, but I think um, <laughs> it still was like, it would have been better to just kind of just keep your mint because, you know, just taking something out of somebody else's mouth. Well, we were hungry, but we weren't that damn hungry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but the thing is, um, as we got to know each other, here's what I want people to realize. <clears throat> Myself, Nalia, Pascal, and Vesepia. Even even the uh, the road two four to a certain extent, as we we started picking them more, we were actually really close. Let me say what we would do at night. We were so hungry, we would sit around the fire 
and everyone would describe their favorite food, desserts. Mm-hmm. I mean, in detail. And you guys know, as you go later in the game, I mean, your, your stomach is just like, y'all can't take it. So what we would do is, that's why the power of the imagination is awesome. Because, and Nalia, she absolutely had great descriptions of like bananas, fosters, like all kinds. Her thing was desserts. Mm-hmm. You know, my thing when I was living in LA was Roscoe's chicken and waffles. Mm-hmm. Somebody else described. So we would sit around and salivate and be like, and yeah. so what else? And be like, and you got, um, and you got a little syrup in it. And then you pour the caramel. And we'd be like, oh, what else? And then you put the <laughs> in the nap, you know, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> and so, um, it bonded us in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, I mean, those moments when you see us like, what is she giving us this mint? It didn't take away from our our genuine camaraderie. It just was the moment where you're like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not, you know, I, and I, I remember seeing, I'm like, <laughs> I think that's the first thing I saw because I'm like, I'm like you're not, not, not your mouth, but yeah, I never, yeah, I, didn't, I, I don't know if I necessarily meant to say that, but yeah. it's what came to me, so. Yes. Uh, and just to go back to the reward where you and Pascal brought back the the food for people that uh, that's another hilarious moment in that season when you have to ride the horse and uh, you're talking about your balls on the horse. <laughs> Real talk. And the funny thing is, there was nothing comedic that I was trying to do. I literally because here's the deal. When the when the reward was first explained, it sounded like a reward. It was like, and so in my mind. Yeah. I thought of every Western flick I saw where like you ride off and you get to gallop. I'm like, oh, this would be dope. And so when these mule like horses were brought to us mm-hmm. on this mountain, I'm like, yo, so hold up. Why? And so as you see from the video, they're kicking and they're not really stable. I'm like, this looks really crazy. And I don't feel comfortable. And I literally did like, I hurt my balls on the um, saddle. <laughs> and I jumped on. I was like, damn, this this is not a good look. Now, mind you, we don't know what they're filming, what they're going to edit. So none of it is like, oh, this will make for good TV. It is what it is. And so for me, when I saw it, I think Rosie O'Donnell, I think she brought it up on her yeah. show. When she brought me on. I was surprised that that was that hilarious to people because those were real funny moments. to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Now I was dead serious. I was like, dude, like I needed a moment. But I, you know, it is what it is. But, um, you know, it was cool. The reward ended up being very, very cool. Yes. Hey, Sean, I wanted to tell you, we have a few things in common. What? Want to hear what they are? Yes, I do. All right. Well, first thing is we were both, we were both voted out on day 36. You and I both. I was actually supposed to be on Marquesas. Oh. And then the last, I, I went out for Africa. Yes. But then they called me, Lynn called me, and she said, T-Bird, I got good news and I got bad news. Bad news is you're not going to Africa. We're going to hold you for the next one. Now, she didn't, I don't know that she said Marquesa. She just said, we're going to hold you for season four. And then that changed. And then I was part of a tribe swap, of course, on day, I think, day 13 in Africa. And you were part of a tribe swap on day 10 in Marquesas. And tell me if this is correct or not. Of course, I was on Second Chances. I'm going to say as an alternate, mm-hmm. wink, wink. And I read that, and I read also, Sean, that you were a uh, alternate for second chances in Cambodia. Is that true? Not even close. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what not I had even. read. So you were not. Can't believe everything you read on the internet, T-Bird. 
That's yeah, true, no, I guess. Uh, after the All-Star, the only time I was contacted was about three, I think three years ago. I think um, when they called Jervis back, remember the recent season yes, that he yes. did? With, uh, but it was right? blood, blood versus Water. Yeah. Blood, yeah, so that's the one. Um, so soon after, casting called me. It was like, hey, uh, it was someone very familiar that we all know. I don't want to say it. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to out her. Okay. Uh, and I was like, oh, you all grown up, girl. Um, mm-hmm. One of our favorite <laughs> doctor's daughters. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Anyway. yeah. We got it. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my girl. Yeah, love, love her. her to death. And her mom her even more. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So she's like, hey, Sean, so we're we're thinking, you know, would you do it again? You know, casting. And she said some of the stuff you got, like, fans of one. I'm like, Y'all know my stance, but every year I get old, I'm like, I'm going to look like fucking Frederick Douglass by the time <laughs> you guys decide to put me on So what are we doing? She's like, no, 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 no. Like, seriously, like, I was like, all right, but my stipulations are the same. Even more so, I have a family. Mm-hmm. I'm not leaving them if I can, you know, leave them with a little something. Um, I need time. I'm old. Right. You know, I, I was like, yeah, I had a spring chicken. She was like, no, we totally understand. I was like, all right. So I, 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 how do I put this? Like I started getting ready, but not like I did with the also. I kind of just said, you know what? Let me just, if, for my own health, start getting more in shape. You mm-hmm. know, swimming and things. And um, once again, you know, didn't pan out. So I was like, I'm cool. Man. They they do this every so often. I think I'll get a phone call. But I think the hold up, and I could be wrong, but I think it's Jeff. I think I think it's Jeff. I don't know why. I just think because he's it's basically his show. It's no longer Burnett's. It's his show. And he gets the final word. So if um, this many people have been asking, where the hell is Sean? Mm-hmm. And y'all have seriously, like, and again, this isn't me, because trust me, I, I'm not dying to get back and to have, especially mm-hmm. Marquesas. Now, the, the way they do it now may be better, but all I know is Marquesas, and I know that it, psychologically, I needed help for a minute. Like, I was, I was messed up. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, a million dollars, all of us, we have families, life, you know, what, what, who wouldn't want to sacrifice for their family? So I'm like, but, um, what is the holdup? You know, and as you get older, you're like, all right, maybe it may be lightning struck once and it was meant to be and that's it. But mm-hmm. I always root for the sepia at least because I'm like, if you're a winner, you should at least get one chance. You got people that have done it several times that have, have never even won. Mm-hmm. I get it. You have fan favorites and people you like and games, whatever the hell the criteria, but I thought ultimately the name of the game is to win. Yeah. So for you to not put my girl in here makes me feel like, why, why would I even want to, why would I want to give you the benefit of the doubt of blessing you with what, what God has given me mm-hmm. So you know, cause I'll get out there and make, may be exploited you know i i don't know i'm like it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth to be like you know it would have been great to have had the opportunity a long time ago um when i was younger i did survival when i was 30 48 now like what are we mm-hmm. doing <laughs> uh, sean how often are you and v still in contact at least twice a week oh wow that's amazing yeah yeah I'm, well her son is my godson i obviously was at her wedding um mm-hmm. We just tight. Like I, I know the black thing is easy. It's just like anyone else. It's the person you gravitate is what's similar. Then that don't always mean anything. You, it'd be somebody 
black as the ace of spades with all kinds of opposite views. And you'd be like, whoa, there's a saying we have that everyone who's your skin folk ain't necessarily your kin folk. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit of colloquial, black colloquial. Yeah. And so say that because there was no guarantee that she and I just because, but our faith, um, you know, Zodiac sign, who knows? We just, we just, um, I've seen her through relationships. She's seen me through mine, our children. I just love her to death. And so I, I always feel like, because she's genuinely a sweet person. Like, Giuseppe is the bomb. She's she's a um, genuinely a nice person. And what people sleep on is that she was a military MP. Like, think about it. And people don't know a military police. That means they call you when they got hard asses in the, in the military that got to be handled. That was her job. Mm-hmm. How the hell you become an MP and you're not a tough-minded person? Mm-hmm. So that's my thought and why we're still close. I actually spoke to her today before I went on here because I was like, yo, what T-Bird and Rob got me doing? I was like, give me the heads up. And then she, yeah. she gave y'all the thumbs up. She was okay. like, worry about good. it, bro. They good. good. But just to speak to the, the testament of that relationship and, and T-Bird, uh, to back, back me up on this. That And you played in season four. I, I played on uh, season six. T-Bird played on in season three. So just in terms of the, the people that played all these years ago, there are not... I, I can't think of anybody who might have a tighter relationship from those early goings. I, I don't think that there's anybody from the first season that talks to each other routinely or the second season. And and maybe maybe I'm, I'm missing a pair, T-Bird, but uh-huh. I don't think that there's anybody that played on these early shows who are super tight and uh, and communicate as much. T-Bird, am I, am I missing anybody? Well, yeah, well. Miss Lex and, Lex and Tom. Tom. Lex and Tom, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They, t- they talk a ton, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I'd like to say I'm close with them, but yeah, they are really, really, really close. I would say like Vesepia and Sean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vesepia is so it's But sweetheart. it's super rare. Yes, okay. very rare. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I will rare. throw in uh, Jervis and Ramona. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we saw yep, both of them yep. back in uh, Philly a couple of months ago, and uh, that was uh, that. That was a, a thrill to uh, get to catch up with them a little bit too. Very close. Now I can't speak to how frequent they are, but for the, some of the same reasons, Vesepia and I, Jervis and Ramona, mm-hmm. definitely close. Uh, I can't speak to the frequency. So yes, definitely Lex and Tom. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but you guys would know. You guys are plugged in. So yeah, it's really rare. Really rare. Hey, Sean, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to leave the listeners hanging. You're many, many, many fans. Would you go back at your 48 years old now? Would you go back? I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know. Okay, I'll take that. Sean, uh, do you ever see Tammy Leitner on uh, the news? All the time. Love to. So here's some interesting news. I love Tammy. So... My lady and I, years ago, we drove out to Phoenix, mm-hmm. stayed with Tammy. Yeah. Like, Tammy's just awesome. We, we in New York, like, random places we kick it. Uh, um, here's what's interesting about Tammy. Years ago, <laughs> some survivor tidbit, survivor, uh, what do you call it? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, uh, quiz. Well, I can't think of mm-hmm. But, um, so... Survivor tidbit, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So Tim was in LA. She hit me up like, yo, Sean, come meet me. I'm at a bar. I'm like, yo, 
because all of us are really bonded. You know, not all. I ain't gonna say all. Mm-hmm. Most of us. So for me, Tammy, I'm like, yo, we kicking it. We have a drink, shooting the shit. And then she goes, um, so I want to introduce you to somebody. Um, don't get mad. I don't know what your reaction is going to be. I'm like, Tim, you know I love me people. I don't give a shit. Who is it? She was like, so, Sean Rector, I want you to meet Mark Furman. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, from the OJ trial? Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah. I was like, hey, Mark. Hi. How you doing? Um, but it was cool. We shook hands. I didn't talk about the obvious. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it it was one of those like weird life moments where even when you say that name, everyone knows that name and what's Mm -hmm. associated. So I met him in this very social setting. Um, she, she's friends with him. No, she was, um, well, she might've been. Yeah. Tammy is a crime reporter. Yes. And she interviewed a lot of people. So she knows a lot of people in law enforcement. The whole crime thing. Yeah. She's because even when I visited her in Phoenix, you know, the famous Sheriff Arpaio, she was doing a story on him and she knew him and she was like, you know, I ain't going to get our personal leanings and conversations, but she knew him. And, Mm -hmm. but most times she's very professional and does her job. So she knows a lot of people. But at that time, I was like, yo, this is crazy. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah she's uh, has an amazing uh, career. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's wild. You see her on the news and, uh, yeah. you know, she's, uh, you know, on like a national stage. You know, it's funny. Um, I often wonder between her and um, what was the young lady on uh, on The View? Elizabeth Florsky. Yeah. Hasselbeck. Yeah. So between her and Elizabeth, they probably have the most uh, reputable careers in entertainment afterwards. Uh, maybe I'm missing someone, mm-hmm. but I often wonder like, who would, what job would people prefer, either Survivor contestants or fans? Would it be The View or an MSNBC job reporting around the world? Mm-hmm. Just my own what if or thing that I kind of thought about, mm-hmm. just because Tammy has such a job. Yeah. Sean, I wanted to know, uh, are there any more recent contestants that you have any sort of uh, interaction with? And he said, you, you, sometimes you check in at the end of the season. Do you ever uh, end up reaching out to anybody? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, the years, we've all just kind of lived our life, live our life, kind of moved on. But early on, ironically, Pascal and I uh, would email each other, check in on each other. Um, the general... Mm-hmm. The general used to uh, Bob used to live out here in L.A. Yeah. So um, we hung out for, for, you know, when he was here for a minute. Boston Rob used to live in L.A., mm-hmm. which I think is a lot because he tried to become an actor. And I remember going with him to get he got he had his little headshots and uh, just trying to figure out if he could do the Hollywood thing. And I was just like, yeah, I do whatever. <laughs> um, I think who else um, outside of my season? um at those earlier get-togethers, you mentioned Lex and Big Tom. Like those early seasons, most of us really got cool mm-hmm. with each other. So I remember, um, you know, obviously you can only go surface. You know, I mean, you don't know what people really feel or how whatever happens. I just know for me, I genuinely love meeting, you know, guys like Lex and Big Tom and um, Rudy, obviously T Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, those early. Survivor get-togethers were just uh, 
they were cool because Survivor still was um yeah, I think it was respected in a way that I think it's get it's a it's pimp now. I think it's like Jeff's personal show, so it doesn't have that flavor of being about the contestants as much as it is, you know, the same old, same old. And I know they try to switch it up with with idols and islands and mm-hmm. whatever the hell else they're doing. I just think some of the flavor of the original seasons was that it was about the contestants and the host kind of played the back and it wasn't as much manipulating. I mean, it probably did back then because they're producers, but I just think, you know, you had guys, you people, Lex is remembered because he's, you know, he's a tatted up dude from Santa Cruz from, mm-hmm. from the Bay. I, mm-hmm. I think Santa Cruz. Yeah. Uh, That's right. That's funky right. Funky hair dude. You know what I'm saying? Um, just, you know, whatever. Big Tom overalls. Like, you get these eclectic different people. And even though, for me, from a race perspective, it's still different types of whites, I would at least prefer you have different types than the same type of, you know, I don't even want to say the types of, or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the internet go after. Yeah, but uh, but that you know though though mostly uh, referred to as like uh, different actors, uh, you know, models slash actors, uh, you know, of uh, you know that that are found sort of like uh, you know the like uh, you know twelve or thirteen bartenders that you know we rounded up outside of Los Angeles. Which listen, eye candy is never bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to eye candy, and I don't think the audience is. I just think nowadays. There's so many fans that go in trying to be caricatypes of their favorite players. And so the few seasons that I've kind of peeked in on, I go, oh, that's in my mind. I go, that's just Mm so-and-so that, you know, I remember. Not to say there aren't originals, but um, I think there's a reason why people like Johnny Fairplay. I remember I met Johnny Fairplay in L.A. at one of these finales. It was cool. Um, Me, him. And Sandra and someone else, we, we actually ate at Hooters one 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 night. Here's some random, you <laughs> know, it was after they were playing at the yeah. Renaissance. Just, you know how Survivor shit get. You, we get together and just be random shit. Yeah. People get together and kick it, laugh, talk, whatever. And I just remember thinking, like, like, like most people are like, I'm going to get to know you when I meet you. I'm not going to judge you based on what you did or what you said. I don't give a shit. And when I meet you, if you're cool and I'm cool, we'll, we'll probably get along. And for, for the moments that I met him, I thought he was cool. Mm-hmm. T-Bird, did you have anything else for Sean? Hey, Sean, well, I was just, I was going to tell Sean, I met Johnny Airplay this, uh, actually a few weeks ago at Big Tom's because Lex was down at Big Tom's. And so Ooh. my husband and I, Glenn and I went up there and I met Johnny Fairplay for the first time in all these years. And he is, How he's something else. Yeah. <laughs> So it was it was just it was just fun. It was all fun to to um to be there and and feel like we know each other even though we don't know each other but we feel like we do. It was great. It was a great time. Great. Y'all having get-togethers uh that's who whose house was it? Tom's or Lex's? Big Tom's. Well, so actually Big Tom um has Lex Lex comes down about every every summer for 2 weeks. That's why I'm telling you they're really really close and this has been going on since Africa. So I just happened to go up there because, of course, Lex, like you said, lives in Santa Cruz. So I figured um, I could see them both. And so we just just flew up there for the night. So and then Johnny and Tanya Vance was there. Uh, It was great. 
it was great to, to finally meet him after, you know, he's kind of, he's larger than life. You know, it's Johnny Fairplay. But, you know, when, right. you're, when you're behind closed doors and you meet him and he's a dad with two precious daughters, you know, the villain, mm. the villain image you don't really see, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. It was fun. That's, that's really awesome. And uh, you yeah. also just spoke to what I think your 70 plus thousand listeners should kind of, if you don't hear anything else, what T-Bird just said is that when you meet us, judge us based on the merit of our conversation and not on some preconceived notion of what you think mm-hmm. an edited show makes us. Because most of us are fathers and mothers, sons and daughters. We work, you know, we just we're regular people and somehow thrust into the limelight because of this show. But when we when the show is over, we all go back to our regular lives. So I just think if if they don't hear me and listen to what I'm saying, maybe what you just said, T-Bird, about meeting Fair Play, most fans, if they would just kind of temper some of the uh, online vitriol, uh, because we feel it. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. If I went on today, I would just, I already shut down my my social media. I only have one just because I get a lot of requests from Survivor fans. Like, I I didn't know how much compared to what you guys are saying, but I get a lot of anonymous people who Mm -hmm. who send me messages telling me about the show. And and I'm always loving it. I I won't accept because I don't know who's who. I don't know who's trolling or anything, but I'm like, I'm like, it's cool. But the internet is such a leery place that I, you know, you say the wrong thing and next thing you know, you're getting a package at your house. You don't know if your kids are going to, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, I just wish people would understand a survivor is an edited show at the end of the day. Take it for what it is and know that none of us are perfect and that we all are trying to win a million dollars with what we know, with what we have. Sean, that's beautifully put. The way I guess I want to end it coming off of what he just said so beautifully. So, Sean, I know you, you know, you didn't win the million dollars. But that money, if you had won, you know, all these years later would have already been spent. But you want a million dollars plus in a friendship. So I just want to read this. It's um, really cool. Sean is my brother from Sean is my brother from another mother. He wears his heart on his sleeve when you can crack through that Harlem exterior. He has been more of a tribe mate. He has been a he has been more than a tribe mate. He has been a true brother. Just our relationship alone, I owe it to our experience on Survivor. Seeing him with his daughter melts your heart, and it speaks highly of the wonderful man, father, partner, and brother he is. That's a quote that I got today from Vesepia Howry. That was very nice. Yeah. Very nice. I think it kind of sums it all up with, you know, what you take out of it and what's really important. You okay, Sean? I'm good, T. Now that was uh, that was unexpected. Mm-hmm. It caught me out. Um, you know that that. Uh, um, you know I love Vesepia, and um, my heart is the way my mother, my grandmother, everybody raised me. Um, I speak about things that I experienced. I feel like as a black man. As a Muslim man, as a non-white person, it's hard for people to get to know us when we don't know if we have these layers that people have to get through before we say hello. Mm-hmm. Or if when we 
speak our mind is it looked at through these lenses that are racial and religious and class. Ultimately, those words hit me because I wish um, Survivor could be played um, with those sentiments at the end of the day. I mean, it's a game. People do what they got to do. All I know is on our season, a black boy from Harlem, a black young man, uh, bonded with a Southern white judge and who couldn't be more opposite. Because at the end of the day, when you take away all the superficial stuff, our humanity shines and shows how much we need each other. And, you know, with Vesepia, because we shared a lot, you know, during the show and afterwards, her words right there just made me think how much I wish that was the state of where we are in in our country right now. So uh, thank you for those words. I I'm got a little teary eyed here. Um, one because I you know I, I don't I don't really you know take compliments and all of that mm-hmm. whatever. But more importantly, that I think I think Jeff and the production are missing showing the humanity of such a beautifully sculpted social project and harp too much on tactics and schemes and idols and all stuff. If they just focus, they got enough footage to show Mm -hmm. people's humanity. I'm sure what you said about me and what I've said about others. And so to hear years later, my sister uh, say that that's why we so close. Like, shit, we cried together on the show. We cry sometimes together uh, on the phone. So when you were saying that, I'm like, ooh, is T-Bird proposing to me? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I, Slack I, up I, on I, you. Yeah, I was like, where, where, where's this going? But the words, whoever they were coming from, and when you said it separate, but I'm like, wow, who, who, who sees that in me? Because I don't really show all of that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thank you, Sean. I feel sure that just our just our conversation and chat today, and all the people that are going to listen to this, I'm thinking of all the people you're going to touch with your words. So, thank you so much for doing this with us. It's been more than a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate you putting yourself out there and talking about uh, things and, uh, you know, uh, sharing uh, your story with us. And uh, you know, we talked about a lot of things that, uh, you know, we really don't talk about a lot in terms of uh, covering the show. But I, I really, you know, uh, appreciate getting to hear your perspective on all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, you were somebody who, you know, spoke your truth, you know, almost 20 years ago and you're still doing it today. And really, I uh, I, I really appreciate you taking so much time and talking with us about all this stuff. Man, you guys are dynamite, man. What a, what a tandem. T-Bird yeah. is obsessed. Yo, um, good opportunity. Um, and let me know what the fans want me to do, what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. If there's anything, I'll be glad to, you know, oblige okay. as, as much as you can. Give us the information about your foundation one more time so people can check it out if they want to know more. Um, our website is www.thetimefoundation.org that's T-Y-M-E foundation.org they can donate, they can just search see what we do Um, 
I'm in the community trying to make sure our young men, you know, learn how to say yes, sir, and no, mm -hmm. sir, yes, ma'am. Wear shirt and ties, learn about their history, learn respect for each other, learn respect for women. Just doing, you know, rites of passage type things that will transition a young man to the next level of being a man. Speaking from someone who didn't have a dad. Um, so that's what our program is. Continue to do that. I also work, uh, ironically, with Sandy Hook Promise, going around the country teaching kids about anti-bullying with the See Something, Say Something campaign. I've been to all kinds of states. been a wonderful ride uh, in, in light of what's going on in our country, teaching kids to be more tolerant and teaching kids that bullying isn't cool. So uh, www.thetimefoundation.org is what I do. And so I appreciate your time. Appreciate, you know, the love and uh, wish you well on your, your podcast and, and your endeavors moving forward. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate uh, you spending so much time with us today. Uh, this was uh, really incredible. No doubt. Hey, Sean, thanks for all you're doing yeah. to change the lives for, of our young people. They oh, are our oh, future. Man. Listen, T, God is good. I couldn't do it. You're only using me as the vessel. Because sometimes I look, I'm like, me? You want me to? But whatever it takes, if it's great, God gets the glory. If it's not, I'll take the, the flaw and the mistakes for it. Sean, thank you so much. Proud to know you, and I love you, I love you, Sean. Love you too, T-Bird. All right, Rock. Okay. Bye, Sean. Bye-bye, man. Bye, Sean. Bye. All right, T-Bird. There was Sean Rector. How, how cool was that? Oh, that was great. What? God, so much information, and he's... He's involved in so many, so many things, touching so many lives. So it's it's great to see what he's done and what he's doing all these years later. Yeah, Tiber, you really got him with the uh, the sepia speech. That he, I mean, he was uh, like I, I could I could see him on the camera, and he you know he really was uh, uh, very emotional. No, it Survivor is a game, but the friendships that we take out of it, and even uh, when I was with Lex and Big Tom a few weeks ago. Lex was saying that even though he didn't win the million, if, if it was a choice between the million and the friendship that he's developed with Big Tom, that he would take the friendship. And mm -hmm. I, I can tell you, knowing Lex, he'd absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's great to see how Vesepi and Sean have stayed so close. And like no, it's amazing. you said, he's, um, he's Vesepi's um, godfather. Let's see. Her son is his godson. Mm -hmm. Jordan is... Jordan is Jordan is his godson. Vesepia's son, Jordan, is uh, Sean's godson. So they're very, very close. Okay, so this is what I wanted to ask you. I talked earlier during the podcast about Sean's six-pack abs mm -hmm. during, during, during the season because I was yes. looking at pictures, you know, I was looking at pictures of him. He was so cut. I wanted to yeah. ask you, I wanted to ask you, he was cut. And then, like you said, he had that oil all over him. How do you get six-pack abs, Rob? And uh, by the way, I saw some pictures of you and Nicole in Hawaii. Yeah. Not bad. You two look like uh, little beach models out there. <laughs> we look hang in there. We're, we're trying. You both uh, did. So, you so, both did. You're going to know the answer to this. How do you get yeah. six pack abs? I think what you want to do is uh, have, uh, you know, like 12% body fat or less. Well, I'm just talking about as far as what exercises. 
this really a misconception oh, what a lot yeah, of people think I, I don't need think it do. matters what exercises you do. You need to have uh, as little body fat as possible so people could see you. You could be, you know, have uh, very strong abs, but if you have high body fat, you're, nobody's going to be able to see it. Oh, right. Well, if you're trying to get a chisel stomach, a lot of people think sit-ups, crunches, and all mm-hmm. that. But like you're, you're saying it exactly right. Abs are made through nutrition. So the you kitchen. have to, exactly what you said are through nutrition. Did you say the kitchen? I guess yeah, that's abs are made in the kitchen. Yeah, that's that's well, that's what I've so heard. Have, but why are we talking? To, why are we talking about this? Well, because I'm supposed to ask you something at the end of everything. So I was oh, okay. thinking about his abs, and a lot of people think you get at, you know these tight abs from doing crunches and all that, and you get it from actually doing cardio and combining it. You know, doing a high intensity interval training like jump roping and tread running, like you on the treadmill, the training. right? And and exactly. So anyway, just yeah. I just thought I'd throw that out for anybody wanting to know about okay. six pack abs. We're still in the summer. We're we're still wearing, wearing swimsuits right now. You know this. I heard it's tank top season. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, it's tank top season. Yeah, that's what people are saying now these days. That's the summer. Oh, it's not. Not swimsuit season anymore. It's tank tops and flip flops. <laughs> That's what I'm okay. hearing. All right, T Bird. I, I know you're already back at work for the uh, next one of these. So uh, the hardest working lady in podcasting. Yeah, we've got. You know, I'm I'm working on a few. We've got some great stories on how I'm trying to get them, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. All right, T Bird. Great to- job. You could follow at T Bird Cooper on Twitter, and what is it on Instagram? Also the same thing. Yeah, T-Bird Cooper on Instagram as well. Okay. You can see yeah. T-Bird's fun videos where she runs on the treadmill talking about all this. Uh, and then, of course, uh, if you uh, like this kind of thing and you want to help support Rob as a podcast, you can go on over to robhaswebsite.com slash patron, get access to our patron-only podcast feed, everything else we're doing in our patron community of Rob as a podcast at robhaswebsite.com slash patron. Until next time, take care, everybody. Bye. 